0: One two one two ooh yeah yeah one two one two one two
1: one one two one Hatch time Hutch time Hutch time It's a bit like there's a terror attack <laughs> <laughs> Great we Might check one two
0: We've got an intro Welcome back to Radio Juxtables, my name is Doug Gillen, and on today's episode we're coming to you from our glamorous studio setup in Ostend, Belgium, for our second of three episodes recorded live and in person at the Crystal Ship Festival. Today we go on a journey with Israeli visual noisemakers Unga and Tant from the Broken Fingers crew. Since the early noughties, Broken Fingers have been using public space to craft their own instantly recognisable and unique universe. Blending illegal ephemeral actions with large-scale commissioned murals, they've forged their own path on a road that is increasingly well-travelled. Originating from the northern city of Haifa, in equal parts their work offers reflection and escape from a region fraught with social-political tension. To understand these worlds that they create and the chaos often depicted through their hypergraphic and visually arresting work, we need to understand the context in which the Broken Fingers was formed. Join us for the next hour as Unga and Tant paint a picture of life on the Fringe and the formation of one of the most energized crews to emerge from street art culture. Thank you to the whole team at Crystal Ship for facilitating this. All the relevant links will be in the show notes.
2: Enjoy the episode. The climb, yeah. Oh I know. Cheers, cheers. Cheers,
0: can you just do me a favor? Can you introduce yourselves?
2: We can introduce each other. Um, I'm sitting here next to Tant, BFC.
1: And this is Unga, original broken finger. <laughs> you guys have just created a, a, a brand
0: new mural here in Ostend, in Belgium. And I think it's a little different for you guys. So could you maybe describe what it is that you've painted and uh, and, and how the experience was
2: Uh, I mean first of all where are we we were at your hotel room which you told us to come you said to wear something comfortable so let's see where what will happen he was really hoping for something (laughs) else (laughs) but we are in in uh, uh, on the seaside of Belgium in uh, Austin I believe I believe it means uh, whale's vagina Uh, I don't know what the name is the name means but. I like that.
0: As a prerequisite for coming to the festival, you need to know the full history of Austin in Belgium. <laughs> when was it formed? <laughs> Who discovered it?
2: But it's a nice, it's a nice place. Everyone looks a bit like prehistoric fishermen. Yeah, we, we we were invited for the festival to paint a mural. Desso was also here, it's it's important to mention he left it this morning, so he's not with us. We painted. If we have to describe it, so it's it's quite simple. Uh, it's it's a three-story building, and a brick wall painted in off-white. And then on top of it, there's a bird that is uh, upside down and is a, with a super thick outline, just brush strokes, kind of minimal, much more minimal than we what we usually do.
0: It's completely stripped back. I mean, I associate broken fingers with color and something a lot more of a visual attack. And this is still grabbing, but in a completely different way. What was the, the, the thought process behind this?
1: I think if, if you follow our uh, recent works, you will see like similar stuff. But I think it's the first time we do try something like this on a wall, like on a big wall. Because we do drawings all the time with ink and with spray paint, and what what makes it s- strong, I think it's that you're taking something that's supposed to be like small. W- we would paint it on like a A four paper or something, and then you put it on like buildings, so it's surprising. That's the first reaction when people see it, and they're like a little bit shocked. I know. I don't know. For us, it's just like a. We tried, we tried the, the last couple of murals to try every, every wall something new that will, first of all, uh, will be surprise for ourselves.
0: I think that's especially after you've been painting for as long as you guys, I think that's important to be able to kind of continue to push yourselves as well as the audience.
2: Super important.
0: Tell me about the bird. Does it symbolize anything in particular or is, is this something that you're keeping close to your chest?
2: I think it's kind of it's a simple image, so you don't even have to explain it. You see a bird, and and then, but if you see the image, it's clear because it's a bird, but the head is down, so it's not going up, definitely. And above it, it's also it's the sky because it's outside, so you kind of see the bird not where it's supposed to be. The plan is to release a print with this image as well, and and then all of the everything that we sell will go to refugees in. Uh, in Ukraine so that was kind of the idea for us of like a way to deal with what's happening without directly deal with it
0: was that something that f- you felt initially compelled to 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 do to raise money for to draw attention to.
2: We well, I think we talked about it between us just because it's a big thing for us, for everyone. But Desso is from Russia originally, and uh, in Haifa the, there's like huge population of Ukraine. So when you just talk to people, it's it's it, you know, it's real. It's very real and it's very close. Subconsciously, even it's something that is in your mind of like, uh, yeah.
0: I guess politics has always kind of been there for you guys and this is maybe jumping forward that sort of taken over some of the other noise that exists in the in the you know the political chat in in Haifa
2: it's nice not to be in the center of there like there's a war and we're not involved it already feels great
0: you're like, let's talk about this one.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even though you, you know, you feel it because there's a lot of, because of all the, the elite from uh, Russia are kind of running away now because they're seeing what happens in Russia. And a lot of them are coming to Israel, specifically to Haifa even. So, and also from Ukraine, of, obviously the refugees. So you do feel it because uh, the law in Israel is like, as long as you have a grandpa or a grandma that is Jew, you can just come.
0: Is it mainly U- Ukrainian Jews and, and Russian Jews that are coming in or is it across a, a, a wide sector?
2: Right now, because of the war, you, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, but it's, spe- it's kind of specific refugees because it's the elite. Like the Russian Barbara Streisand is just moved to Israel and stuff like this. It's funny because yeah. they don't see future there.
0: Help me out here. Officially, currently, Broken Fingers is three, four
2: Three, the three, three is the core of us active working together. The fourth one is just really doing music the last few years. So he's still a good friend, and we, you know, think about ideas sometimes. But three that are actually painting. You guys
0: are predominantly still based in Haifa. I know that you've been based, Onga, uh, in 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 London. Are you? Do you still very much have a, a a base in Haifa? Do you go back a lot?
2: Yeah, yeah. I've just been there. Tant used to live in Tel Aviv and, and he just moved back to, to Haifa and Desso just moved. He was in Mexico for two years. So we kind of move around, but we always come back to Haifa. That's the, the headquarters.
1: Up until uh, COVID, we used to travel a lot together for like 10 years that we've been constantly moving, basically.
0: How do you keep that dynamic? You know, you're three individuals, four individuals. But, you know, operating as this single entity, that's quite, it's not an easy thing to do.
1: Maybe from outside it doesn't look easy, but for us it's so natural. Like, first of all, we grew up like this. Like, me and Unge grew up in this community. Our parents are, like, also work together. They're architecture artists. and, And we grew up in this kind of commune that there were a lot of people that took different parts. So I think we kind of yeah grew up into that group uh identity
0: yeah like a mentality of of a, a collective yeah I, I, i'm not going to skip over that because it's kind of an interesting thing it was the this is the tav group yeah for you you'll have- probably done this a thousand times but it's quite interesting just to hear this you know oh yeah we just grew up in a commune it was a kind of an eco-architecture space like tell me tell me more about this how what was that experience like i mean not that you would have known any different but what was that
1: environment
0: like kind of as a place to grow up
1: yes so it, it was like a kind of a village it's like inside haifa inside the city but it's like on a wadi like a valley that's uh goes down to the sea and there were like five buildings that they kind of sc- uh, squat our parents and uh, we used to call it mushrooms it's like round uh, buildings right like uh, houses and uh it was very good childhood i would say we were like uh well a lot of like friends that came like rainbows like kind of hippies and the
2: rainbow um, rainbow movements it's like a super hippie um, i think they started greenpeace initially but it's like uh, they have gatherings all over the world so each year it's in a different place and then you have like thousands of people like dreadlocks like music and uh, very like like real hippie not not even like uh, yeah like a Brooklyn hippie yeah no it's like uh, really like you smell the hippiness Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, also you know but also drugs and fun stuff and uh, we were too young to fully understand what's going on I think but we just got exposed to a lot of you know, a lot of music and people around and like, the, yeah, art. So it, it was cool. It was like very free. So that's why when I think when Tan says it's it's normal for us, so that's, that's what we saw. It's like, yeah, a group working together. Which is generally in Israel because of the history of that it's more socialist and you have the kibbutz. So it's not that rare to have this mentality if I compare it to other places that are, you know, that have more capitalistic, uh history. Mm.
1: And so. then when, when we grow up a little bit we start to see graffiti when we when we travel to Europe and that's I think the second part of a group when you do graffiti you go out to bomb you you need to have a crew. You already had a crew. <laughs> mm-hmm. No I mean even earlier before before we had broken fingers, so it's yeah, it's gathered as a as cool. a graffiti crew that, um.
0: So pre-Broken Fingers, you guys were still running about together painting?
2: Uh, not really. We were just hanging together, you know, skating, doing whatever. Uh, but uh, then then graffiti came and it just made the perfect sense for us. Okay, well, we, we like to paint. We like to be with friends. We need uh, the rush and the adrenaline of kids. And now we can focus on something, you know, productive with it. So it just felt like this is the greatest thing in the world, and we want to do it forever. Even though we never ever thought that it will be like a career or something, but you know. Yeah,
0: yeah I don't think anyone at that time thought no. that there was a career in it.
2: No, not at all.
0: Would you be painting in Haifa, or was it not until... Uh,
2: only we when I was 13, we moved out. There was a trial and they were kind of kicked, kicked off the, the place okay. after living there for more than 10 years.
0: Something about disputed land.
2: Yeah, basically, they say it was illegal, but they, they did pay all the time, but to the wrong guy or something. Um, and then we had to move out, and we kind of mo- first we just moved to, uh, to our grandma's, I think, with the whole family. Just They took us, and they're like, okay, we live uh, at, our, uh, at their parents' place for like six months or more. And then we were like in Haifa.
1: And you were already like five. Six, siblings, no? six kids. Six. We
2: were because I have a big family and we we're like six in in the living room of my grandma.
0: Oh wow! I'm going from uh, this fucking open commune.
2: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, in our house we also had, were in one room, but it was a big room. <laughs> Each uh, one at the corner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Even though there were no corners because it's a, a circle, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> I remember it first as like being thirteen and, and like man I had the best place in the world and now I like I have to I don't want to be in the city. But then it was pretty quickly we we're like, oh, skateboarding, graffiti, the fun the fun part of the city and and then yeah, we took it to this direction and we met. And then parties uh, and yeah, and we met, We it's actually a kind of good age to move to the city, and we uh, I met Kip, the, we started the crew initially, and then Tant, because he was hanging out with us all the time, it just made sense, and Desso moved to Israel, and we met, and that's, yeah, the crew started.
0: What was Haifa like as a, as a, as a city round about this period, like what we talking, early 2000s, mid-2000s?
2: The early 2000s.
1: It's not really a city, first of all. you call it a city and it's maybe the third biggest city in Israel, but it's like a village. It used to be like a worker,
2: very working class.
1: and there were there was basically not much happening culturally. We were teenagers. We used to go to Tel Aviv for parties. Uh, graffiti wasn't exist in Haifa like till 2000, I think.
0: Where was your interest in graffiti coming from if it wasn't coming from necessarily from Haifa?
1: Yeah, we got some magazines yeah. back in the day from Berlin mostly.
2: I mean, London. we visited
1: Berlin like
2: uh Which is just something that you see on, uh, I don't know, on TV. We brought, Kip that have a grandma in Bromley in, uh, outside London, he brought a magazine and I was like, okay, we saw it and it was just something that is too cool to that we just have to do it. And um, that's it. We, we we went for it because we we were talking even then. How come there's nothing? There's zero graffiti. It's true that it's it's not really a city, and it's the the even though it's like three hundred thousand people, you don't feel it. But. There was always like an artistic scene, just super small and close. So, and it could be punk rock or before the rock and roll or something. So they were. It's it's not like you live like in the suburbs and there's zero. It's just you really have to look for it, and you have to create if you want something else that is like. Uh, you can go to a punk rock show, but if you want a hip hop party, you have to create it, and people will come because there is roots of like. Uh, You know, especially that uh, we mentioned there's a huge, like, Russian and and Ukraine population. Yes, so they are very cultured, like, in their roots. And and even if their parents used to listen to classical music, it's still something that, you know, they grew up on appreciating music. So when we started later on throwing parties, they were, I would say, like, probably like 50% would be, like, Russian kids and Ukrainian that really... Thirsty for something. Yeah, they are more connected to what happened in Europe or in England.
0: So tell me about the that sort of initial party scene that was just you guys trying to fill a void. It was all part of this. Was all part of just you taking this ethos from this this community and
2: no ethos at all. At this point, it's just we don't want to drive to Tel Aviv to have a party, so we will make one here for our friends, and then it just like started to, to become a thing.
0: And the art was embedded in the heart of this? Or was it an extension just to promote it?
2: No, it was just like, no. Uh, we started to do parties like uh, almost 20 years ago, 2003 or four, I think was the first one. And uh, it was just, no one before gave us a, uh, like a platform to do a poster or a, f- a flyer and we always wanted. So that was the first time, okay, now we can actually design a poster. So it was just, you know,
1: it was a big part of it, I think, the all the graphic around it and like the concept and uh,
0: it was was it for you guys just trying to be like okay if this if this knight had an image this is what this knight would look like.
2: Completely, yeah, yeah, definitely, and a great school for us because it was every week a uh, poster needs to be made, so you have a deadline, so you just make it and you work on it and then printed it's all over town so people see it and then you kind of get critiques and like from week to week you you know and people then start to collect it so it was really our school in this sense of just like just doing a lot like even if a lot of it wasn't that great but just the quantity
0: yeah 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 just eventually you'll get good enough that people are gonna like it so what were you what were you looking at then for
1: inspiration comics books um
2: horror movies, a lot of this stuff, illustration, like medical books, illustrations, a lot of those stuff that was in the early years, right? You have to understand, there's no art gallery even till this day in Haifa, no, like one proper gallery. So it's it's it's, it's even hard to say. So and we
1: didn't even call it art back then. No. Like when we used to draw and we used to print our stuff and do paste up or just doing graffiti. Yeah, we didn't thought to be part of any art scene or something like this. No,
2: uh, no, but and it was, but it was very connected to like um, the music because it's the same people that comes to the party or play at the party would be the people that you know that do graffiti and uh, small place.
0: How is your relationship with religion growing up there?
2: When
1: we were kids, I mean, there were like the neighborhood that we ha- had our school in. It was like a Hadi- Hasidic's neighborhood, they were like Orthodox, Orthodox, mm. and like, uh, so you see lots of them, and you don't have any connection to them. It's weird. It's
2: it's it's very. I think it's mixed Haifa, but also it the history is kind of working class, more left, socialist, and secular. Um, like it's the only city in Israel where you ha- will have buses in in Shabbat in Saturday. Uh, so even in this sense, it's more laid back. It's not really part of your childhood, but then when you grow up, you understand that you were brainwashed a lot. Not so much about religious also, but more about the whole Zionist idea of like, you're just, yeah, I'm go- just going to school, but then you realize that all those years, this, they told you a certain narrative about. And then we came then the Jews came from Europe and the land was empty and we just built a beautiful country. Cool. Sounds like a great story. <laughs> and then slowly you grow up and you start to ask questions and like, hey, well, all those uh, Palestinians, they, but they were here before. So, uh, But that's how the system works, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it works to keep that information away from you. Do you remember, is that kind of like a coming
2: of age that everyone kind of goes through? The sad thing is most of the people, I don't think they reach to the, this thing, realisation. Right yeah, they just still live in this narrative because once you start to question it, then you have a lot of questions about what the fuck is happening and are we really right and, you know, so you really have to, to keep this narrative alive. And that's that's the strength of this the system that, that the narrative is so strong that you just don't question it. And there is so much sacrifice being made by this point that if you start to question, was it right? So then, wait, all those people who died and got injured was not for the right cause? So you cannot even open this door. So it's just like, don't even go there, you know? It's clever. Uh, it's just the way it is. And, and it's like it's weird in israel because you can talk about religious surprisingly you can you can criticize religious and and politics but then the taboos are different which is more like army don't talk about the army like don't question we are just the most moral army in the world and don't don't even question and then yeah the whole thing of like this is a jewish state also don't talk about that because if you do then you're anti-Zionist, anti-Israel, you cannot, you know, so just don't, you're against us.
0: Was this kind of thing, we'll just call it politics, was that a factor in your early work? Was it? Was your work a kind of a response to this, a reflection of this, or was it nothing to do with this at all?
1: I think most of our work, I mean in the early years I think we even tried to get away from this because you live in Israel and it's all about this and when you meet something from someone from abroad, he probably will ask you about politics and uh, what do you think about it. So we t- kind of try to create our own utop- ut- utopian utopia. Utopia world and kind of live in our uh, imaginary land. Uh, later on, we 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 will we 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 do uh, like. Um, deal with those issues, not all the time. I mean, some some of our works are, yeah, deal with politics. Most of them are it, more personal, I guess. It definitely uh,
0: feels like this is something that's come in a lot stronger in the last couple of years. You know, this this kind of like, almost a lot more vocally talking about these, you know, whether it's talking about apartheid in your mural in South Africa, whether it was talking about homelessness, um, you know, I, I feel like there's been a more direct conversation opening up with these these subjects, is that something that you're consciously doing? Uh,
2: it's not a conscious decision of like a strategy, but it's, we, we realize that we kind of feel more, more like a natural passion of like, we, you know, we need to, 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 to say something. Not because we need to change people's mind, but we, we kind of have something built in, inside of us that needs to be released comes and goes like we can do like uh, suddenly something very political but then we feel free enough to just then a year of just doing you know funny turtles or whatever and then go back to it. It doesn't have to be like I'm a political artist and that's all I do.
1: As far as murals I think it started as a thing that you come to a place and you like trying to react to what do you see on what's what is what is catching your eye there what is important to to pass,
2: to the wall. It's it, it's it's kind of also almost like a challenge for us that we like to take an idea that could that if you I just tell you you'll say like there's no way that anyone will let you paint it on a huge building in the middle of town, but then our challenge is to do it so fun with the colors and so pop that people would just like pass by and say like this is great thank you and then maybe with time they're like what's going on why is this guy doing this and they realize the kind of more the story which is very the, the, the it's the opposite of what the mural we did here which is just a bird but a lot of people kind of seem to be already pissed about it which is just a kind of cute little bird so it just shows you how f- people first of all they they see the colors and then they see,
0: they can't go they almost can't go beyond that you could do a skeleton getting his dick sucked but
2: if you'll do it but, fun enough <laughs> and it's a good challenge uh but but it is interesting because you you feel like, okay, this is serious times, right? The world, Trump, Brexit, whatever, we need to react. But, but then you look at like Second World War that she was a bit, you know, a bit more serious. And, and what was the important art? I and mean, it was not necessarily the, the, you know, the more direct propaganda? It could be like a still life by Matisse that changed art. Or or you know that still talks to children in two thousand twenty two, because it just brought something new. So, as an artist, it's not necessarily your role to just directly you know say something clever. It's not it's not a you know it's not a tweet or a, a Facebook post. It's it. Which is funny because your mural looks like it just killed Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I I look at it as like, this is art, it shouldn't be like this. Some other times I'm saying, yeah, but this is also like a poster and it's okay to just do like, this is propaganda and I'm, I'm okay with this.
0: You're listening to Radio Juxtapose Live from the Crystal Ship Festival in Belgium where we are in conversation with Unga and Tant from the Israeli art collective Broken Fingers crew. Right now you're listening to The Human Torch by Haifa Duo 3421. Head over to the 3421 Bandcamp for a sneak peek at what to expect and get a first-hand look at the album art created by the Broken Fingers' very own Deso. If you're enjoying this episode, please let us know on social media at Radio Juxtapose, or why not slip us a couple of nice words in a review. But right now, we're going to get even more personal as we get back into it with Unga and Tan. talk about you know this idea of of it being colorful and quite graphic but like a lot of your your work for a long period of time was quite highly sexually driven quite sexually charged so what was the the sort of the driving factor behind that what was the role in your sort of opinion of using sex in your artwork but also in the public
1: actually i think it, it it's it's never started as a as a like provocative act, we just love to to paint skeletons and and naked girls. It's it was like our our practice for a long period of time, and then uh, we kind of we just start doing it in the street, and we saw the reaction, and it was interesting to see. We did a series of work in Hackney Week back in like 2015, 14, maybe.
2: But it, it was a little bit a reaction because I do remember that we, we were in London and, and, and we were just like amazed of how street art became such a thing and so mainstream and like the street art tours and you know, now it's everywhere. But then it was like, wow, we're, we're not used to it.
0: I, I, I'm just going to come clean on this. I think I was a street art tour guide in <laughs> London in 2014. And you were living in the wake. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, so fa- <laughs> uh, fair enough, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and everything Do was
1: it. so, like, uh, kitsch in, in that period. Still, uh, we feel like street art has gone, like, became to be, like, something very beautiful. Most of the murals or... It have to be
2: Instagrammable. That's kind of you know.
1: So we kind of uh, got sick of it. Okay, we can't. We can't. uh, We we walk in the street and we see all these like cute characters and yeah, we felt like we want to do something
2: just to bring a bit of the rawness of you know the just the the same way you like punk rock and you want this sound and you need you know and you keep having to find you know find the boundaries not because. I want to piss people off because I want to, you know... Do something that no one else is doing. Yeah, and kind of challenge it because this is how you start a conversation. And, uh, you know, at the time, it, it was just... This is what was felt right for us and interesting and we just did tons of them all over. I remember them well. And it was also fun because this is something you can only get away by doing it illegally. So we would go, usually during the day, and just stop and just do it them around Hackney week and if someone like commission you to do a wall there's no way they he will you know allow it so just take take full um, advantage of it.
0: London has played a big part in broken fingers. Do you remember how it felt at the start? What was that, uh what were your first impressions of that city when when you arrived? All bright eyed
2: and fresh-faced. <laughs> Red eyed. Uh. <laughs> It's the smell of fried chicken everywhere I remember when we just arrived everyone are very clean it's like shit I'm wearing my best clothes and I feel dirty step up my game people look sharp I I really liked it since the beginning like I mean there's this always this Paris London thing I liked Paris but when I came to London I was like okay this is a place I would live and, and it was an important place for us. We had this the first show we did, uh, f- our first solo show ever before we even did one in Israel was in London. And it was like, uh, yeah, it was a really important thing for us. We were basically, we got invited to do a show uh, by Noe and Rudy in the Truman Brewery. And we were just, I guess, so naive that we were just like, okay, let's just do the best, biggest show ever and didn't think like in any way about logistics so, so just like two weeks before the show we called them by the way we need a full container to be shipped from israel and they're like we don't have the budget okay if this is if someone have to ship it and they did and we we took over a huge space and we yeah we wouldn't probably no one would allow it now we also didn't sell even one painting so it was complete disaster but it was great and it made an effect after the show so they didn't ship it back. So we just were stuck with a container full of artwork. And until today, I sometimes go to someone in London and they have, uh, you know, a piece of work from this show.
0: Yeah. And how how's that relationship changed? I mean, you saw kind of the sausage being made in London, I think. You know, you saw that. I think there's just such a... a for me, that period in London was just such a, a clear example of that just that tipping point of like what you were saying earlier, where street art just suddenly went from something that felt really raw and open into something that became just an extension of
2: aesthetics. And and capitalism. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily, it's not, there are cities that you come and you're like, oh, I feel inspired to go out, do something in the street. London is not necessarily this for me, but there are other stuff that inspires me there, like the tradition and there's something very stable. We come from a country that like 70 years ago, it was not exist. And it also feel like no one knows that if in 10 or 15 years it will exist. That's the state of mind. Really, you feel this like, let's live now, no one knows what's gonna be tomorrow. So being in a place with London of like we've been on this island for years and we will be no matter what it, it there's some stability that I like and and think maybe don't know maybe this is why you have good music as well or something there's something about about it
0: that's super interesting I've never thought about London in that way or or Britain in that way as a, as a sort of as a as an anchor of stability and I think this is probably just the 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 luxury you get when you live in a place that isn't threatened by enemies on all sides. Is that genuinely just what it feels like growing up in Israel? You feel like this this is a fifteen year time
2: span? And not in a dramatic way. It's just like just this is life and you accept it. But but you don't even think about it when you're there. Only when I then when I moved out, then this is when you start to realize it's like, whoa, people like signed contracts for 20 years. 20 years, man, this is a lifetime. And, like, uh, yeah, even the way that you, you, like, no one think in the long run in Israel, no one, even not even the government. Everything is, like, five years is a lot. And this is why it looks like a mess as well, because there's no planning.
1: And there is no tradition. I mean, like, uh, when you go to Europe, so it's all built up on, like, layers of layers of, like like traditions when you come to israel it's built on a sand basically mm-hmm. in a way i think it's also a, a good thing like same as Haifa, when you when we grew up in a place there, there were nothing so you have to do you have to create something and and it doesn't lay down on on something that exists because you kind of you create your scene you create your style you create your
2: movement Without the responsibility that sometimes Europeans have, I feel, of like, oh, this, it's a different responsibility. Now, like, now with my son, I felt this responsibility with the, um, with, you know, the uh, Brit Brit Milad, the, the circumcision. It was like the first time that, because people were like, man, are you crazy? It's like for 3,000 years we've been chopping the foreskin and you're going to be the one that breaks it. And I'm like, I don't know. It sounds stupid to me. And it, it, it was a hard thing to decide. So it's kind of, but then I realized, oh, okay, maybe this is a bit how Europeans feel I, about other I'm not stuff too sure what
0: the comparison would be in the European uh, sites. Like you're like, oh, maybe this is how they feel about, and I'm like, I don't quite know what that would be, maybe, (laughs) but I understand completely. Is this something that a lot of like young younger uh, Israelis men are, are kind of considering you're, you're now. You're
2: asking what does the foreskin represent in this metaphor? I'm <laughs> trying
0: to. I'm trying to think. Well, in my head, in my initial thought was like, I grew up in Scotland, so maybe it's like, maybe the foreskin in this analogy, in this me- metaphor, is a hatred of the English. In, in Scotland, you just grow up and you hate the English. Well, you got to hate the English, son. We've hated the English for 3,000 years. You, you just do as we've done and you'll hate the English. As well, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is the same.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even sure what I meant in the metaphor. But, but, uh, but there's someone is the foreskin here, and someone is the rabbi, and there's a knife. And
0: do you think they've been having the same problem for for three thousand years, where they've gone? Are we sure we want to do this, or is this just like a modern thing where they've gone, where they've gone? Maybe this isn't the smartest.
2: Maybe we shouldn't do this.
1: I think even when we were uh, kids, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, question, a question in Israel. No.
2: You just do it. You go yeah. to the army, you chop your son' penis, <laughs> and it just happened. <laughs> Our generation started to ask, like, should we do all those things? Do uh,
0: yeah. you think that's going to stay? Is that going to go? Is that going to be like Scottish independence? It's just going to happen at
2: some point. We've just got to wait. I feel like uh, I said my cousin didn't do. Uh, they're pretty mainstream, and they didn't do a circumcision to their kids. So I feel. Do, like
0: Do you want to? give them a shout-out by name, just... No, <laughs> don't, no,
2: don't, I don't, don't. want to, I can be blacklisted in some shady lists. I
0: mean the first thing, they'd be like, oh, I hear you were in a podcast. <laughs> That's my son. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to there. Yeah. I don't know how we got to there, but thank you for making sure that we did. Um, no Hope never brought that up.
2: He's a bit Japanese. I don't know if he, uh, we should check if he's circumcised. Maybe we <laughs> could text him. Hey, I've got an uh, art question.
0: Where did, the, <laughs> where did the fat man come from? Ooh, speaking of circumcision, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to naked fat man. I am not. I don't know. It's something I kind of just was always uh, drawn to 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 paint them. It's. I think. Yeah, it was just interesting the the shapes and uh, and the the shaved bald man. I felt like it's like an international character. You see them in every country you go. You have the same kind of fat and bald guy with. The, here, So I just kind of, that's how it started, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, there wasn't like a, you know, a fat man that raped me or something specific that started it. I'm glad that trauma didn't get deep and dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that it was, it wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, but cause, it, cause he has been a recurring image. I mean, you've had a lot of recurring, like the skeletons, There's there's been the the lizards. There's been a lot of images that have kind of come the Roo a lot, but for you, are they just graphic graphic interpretations of something in your head, or just characters that you think are fun, they don't necessarily have to... That's on the other side, where it's like, not everything has to be deep and political.
1: I think from the first place, you don't paint an image because you want to symbolise it to something, you just paint it because you feel like painting it. Then afterwards, it became like a story, or um, it finds... The meaning in every piece, it can be different meanings maybe. But first of all, yeah, we just paint skeletons because we want to practice how to paint it. Or
2: uh... there's a lot of instinct, and then sometimes you like you you use your instinct, and if some something works for you or interesting for you, then you just keep doing it, keep doing it, and sometimes at the end you understand, uh, like retrospective. Retroactive. Why did you do it? And sometimes you don't. And sometimes there, yeah, there is no much meaning, but it's just about repeating an a motive so much until it kind of become like something like a piece of clay that you can play with When you paint something so much and it kind of loses the 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 meaning and it's just a shape, so it's it's as a painter it's kind of give you a certain freedom to to it's almost like abstract for you you just use it as a tool
1: like an abstract language like we build the language but the letters not necessarily mean something as uh, outside of the context you know you we answer this in the same language to each other so it's create a language that exists
2: Imagery. But... It's, it's sometimes the topic of the painting wouldn't be like w- what we depict. It's just a tool to deal with something that for us is interesting at the time. And it could be about the colors or about the composition or about the expression. And we just use what in front of us or which image that we already drew so many times to do it. So people will see it and say, oh, that's an image of still life or of a dog. But actually the, the painting is not about this. It's about whatever we were dealing with at the time.
0: Do you prefer to keep these meanings close to yourself, to keep the paintings kind of open for interpretation, or do you think that they should have, like, this is what this is about?
2: Usually we do, I think. Sometimes it's it's very obvious, but other times, when the meaning is just like, oh, this represents this, therefore that, I understood the painting, then it's a bit like, that's it, then you, you understood it, you're moving on, and it doesn't stick so we we always prefer to leave it a bit open-ended.
1: Also, that's the reason that we paint, that we do visual art. I mean, if we want to write an article or to write a book, so we will describe it in words. When you do a painting, it has to speak for itself as, as an art, as something that you look at, you're feeling something. There might be a story, but... F- the most important thing is that it will be interesting as a painting, not as a something that you can write about the painting.
0: For you guys, then, how do these ideas and this sort of ethos, how does that change going from the street into the gallery and into the studio? What's the same and what's different?
1: It's it's very different, I think. We, we're trying to adjust ourselves to every environment. I mean, not every wall Will work in a different place, and most of the works that we do outside not necessarily work in a gallery in like a, on a blank wall when you do a like an outdoor painting so it has to work with the environment when you do a painting for a gallery it has to work by itself it doesn't matter you can move it from gallery to gallery or to a museum and it will still work the same
2: street art is and graffiti is a lot about the context it's kind of it's where the location and the city and the architecture and and most of the time the 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 interesting street art is the the people that that you know understand the, their surrounding and then moving in, into a gallery is just something completely new you take some of the stuff that you learned in the street but you have to learn from scratch again and understand and and uh, it, it, it's very exciting for us i think the uh, like uh, maybe 6 7 years ago we 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 started to get a bit into more painting because before it was everything was very flat so even if we did an acrylic painting it, we trying to um to imitate this, the the screen effect so it looks like a flat print and then we felt like we did works for an exhibition and, and the process was a bit like boring because once you did the sketch you already couldn't know exactly how the painting gonna look. We traced it with a grid or whatever and then you just kind of fill in. And it looks crisp and great, but it was a bit boring. So basically, once the, the you traced it, it feels like a monkey can d- do it. And and maybe it's okay, but we felt like we want the process also to be interesting and surprising. And and we started to move a bit more into like painting with oil paint and from still life, and not even knowing what do we want to do. And and but just we want things to be more dynamic and to make and. First, people were a bit like, what, what are you doing? Why?" I mean, we want like skeleton fucking uh, each other on the street and suddenly you're, you're painting bananas with oil paint. And I wasn't even sure why I'm doing it, but I felt a certain excitement that reminded me the excitement I felt when I started graffiti of like, wow, that's all I want to do. So that's a good sign. So even if I don't know why I'm doing it, if I have this feeling, I'll keep doing it. And I'm still not sure where are we going, but I know that, it gave us a lot of freedom because once we did this and we started to do stuff that are a bit m- more weird for our audience, then you kind of get rid of the audience that is closed-minded enough and just want the same thing. And the the people who stick with you are the people that are in it for the ride and they're like, take us somewhere, We're, we trust you. And then if you have this audience, it's a great... Freedom, because they understand that maybe not everything will be your best work, but it's going to be interesting. How does it differ then when you're working on your own when you're
0: working together?
1: I think it's uh, super important for us to to be together. We are trying to meet like a, at least few times a year, a year, like for a residency or to work together on an exhibition or a or a project, and always bring something. I think to the to the game when we work alone I think it's yeah it's also important and it's kind of like balance it because each one developed his own skill or his own perspective and then when we meet again so we kind of reacted to those changes that each one of us has been through so it's very good system I feel like uh, it's a very good school for us like we always, have each other for uh, feedback and um.
2: we kind of built this little system that gives us uh, I saw the Beastie Boys documentary not that long ago and I the thing that first of all it was it was just cool, but also the thing that inspired me the most and I feel like we are kinda of lucky to have it in a in a different way is this that the fact that they really gave each other the ability to experiment. And if someone comes with a weird idea and and the, the others are not, like, looking at him, giving him, like, weird looks. They're just like, well, okay, we're not sure, but try it, sure. And they did it in such... That, that really inspired me to push it even more after I saw it. And, and I think we also try to do it, like, we will never say, like, just no. If someone brings something and you're not completely sure, you're like, let's try it, and then maybe we, we're not, we're not going to use it, but we're going to try it. So kind of allow allow it, and um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of power to it. And and whenever we get together some new ideas come to, to life.
0: Have you guys started thinking about like where that where that goes? You know, where where this where broken fingers goes from beyond this cool Thing entity that moves around and appears in places. Can it go back and recreate the kind of same energy or environment that you that you grew up in in some capacity? You know, can it can it then plant roots somewhere more permanent? Is
2: really my question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we we talk about it, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, I think it was kind of our dream for a for a long time to have this community back. For few years, I think I was really motivated to to make it happen somehow. Still, I mean, it will be amazing if it if it will happen. Uh, but then, yeah, you grow up, and each one have his family, and um, you know, you you get uh, settled a little bit, a little bit, and everyone get more lazy.
2: It's harder to move
1: to move and to build. Yeah, to build something. Even our parents that like. It worked for ten years, and then the, we get, we got kicked out of the this place, and they never managed it. to yeah, to to make it happen again. They
2: tried, I mean, but it's hard. But we do, I think. If you if you ask us what our the dream scenario is to live near the beach or near nature, but not too far from a city.
0: Sounds familiar.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to be surrounded with friends like to have a community a sense of community and to create art to just have a big uh, studio and and create art i mean that's it i think we don't none of us want to be rich just for you know buying fancy cars it's just we want to have a a nice studio and to be able to choose the project that we want and just you know and and I, i i do believe it will happen there was one moment that just each one was in a completely different part of the world recently it's f- because of Des and, and Tant came back to Haifa recently and we're going to uh, op- hopefully open a new studio there soon so maybe maybe it w- still will happen but
1: um. but also yeah in this time we always talk about the bad things about uh, all this social like media and but it also have a good thing i mean we have a community even if it's not have doesn't have like a physical place we do have a community and we we talked a lot like uh, three of us uh, like if not every day so we're like a few times a week and we do like meetings and we we're always like in the subconscious of each other you know even if unga or Desso is not mm, like uh, working with me in the same space, where they, when I do a drawing, I will already have their voice like telling me, you know, something.
2: What the fuck, man? <laughs> I
1: don't know, I think there's something so beautiful
0: about that idea. I just think in a world that just becomes so individual and so, you know, we, we our ancestors will have grown up in communities. They will have relied on each other, they will, will relied on big families, you know, this was how you survived. You survived because there was power in numbers that you would have enough people to look after you and to do all these things. And a community was like this really important thing. And I think growing up in in Britain, that, that's been chipped away at. And like, forget about graffiti. I think the greatest act of rebellion is this idea of having these small collectives of people that are, you know, fucking talking to each other and relying on each other. I think that's a, it's a really powerful thing that you guys have described here and i hope that uh people listening can take something away from that and i, I yeah really enjoyed mm-hmm. listening to you guys talk today
1: you need to to yeah to put your ego down if, if you want to live in that kind of community or a collective or a crew whatever you have to like take your ego down you're not yeah like and to be yeah super open about like uh, everything,
0: there you go. That was it, unga and Tant from the Broken Fingers crew. Hit up their social media pages, we will put the links in the show notes. I definitely recommend if you haven't had a chance already, if they are still available, get your hands on one of their sexy new books. It's a full deep dive into their 20 year history and it is just really 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 well produced. If you're listening to this at the exact time of release there might still be a couple of the Ukraine prints that we mentioned way back at the start of the episode. I don't know, they were going fast by the time I recorded this so good luck on that one but anyway thanks to the guys for taking the time to sit with me, thank you once again to the whole team at Crystal Ship for facilitating this. My name was Doug Gillen. I will be back with you with one final episode from Belgium. This one is an absolute hitter. We have got Bezd from the ETAM crew, one of my all time absolute favorite muralists. Until that moment comes, take care of yourselves. And each other. guys want to add
2: i didn't i didn't tell it then if i did circumcise it or him or not but
0: uh for the listeners that have made it to the end of this podcast
2: next episode we will find out (laughs) plus the photo in the description below like and subscribe